Yo, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Griff Show. Today is June 11th, Saturday, June 11th. It is 8.56 a.m. Griff, how has your week been, man? It's a grinder. Like I was saying earlier, it's been like really hot, which I feel like, I don't know if all, where our listeners are all from. I know there's Canada, I don't know what Tulsa's like this time of year, but it's brutal out here. In, uh, Less than one percent is in Hong Kong. Don't forget about don't forget about our Hong Kong listeners. What is the weather like in Hong Kong, dude? I don't know. It's got to be it's got to be like everywhere else, right? Uh, <clears throat> they might have more rain or more sun. I don't know. Who knows? I'm not too sure. But yeah, it was a good week. How about you? Uh, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, it was kind of a it was kind of long in some parts, but then it was then it was super quick, and it was like already the end of the week. Um, I did have uh, have some new uh, some new responsibilities that I'm moving into within the company, which is exciting. So, going to be moving away from the estimating side full time, and moving into kind of a, a hybrid like marketing business development. Uh, I'm managing the podcast that we're doing. Um, going to be doing research and writing on that research that I'm doing, which is. So it's kind of a, you know, it's a small company. So it's kind of like, we're kind of just going to figure out what the job is as we figure it out, as we go. Right. So, but I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun. So that's going to start kind of this early, this next week and kind of into this next week, starting to figure out what that looks like. So I'm excited about it, but uh, it was a good week, man. Taking up new roles. You're always doing big shit, brother. Um, I'm trying, man. I'm all, all, all we can do is the best that we can do, right? I was talking about this yesterday with my boss. Like, uh, man, I, I don't know anything, dude. I'm 24. I'm, I'm going to be 25 on Monday. It's almost my birthday, dude. I don't know anything, man. I'm just like, I'm just trying to like figure some things out. I'm trying to figure out the right questions to ask. But, but hey, you know what we learned in college football? I'm showing up every day. I'm going to bust my ass. And if it works, it works. Great. And if it doesn't, well, then let's go back to the drawing board and figure it out. We got to control what we control, right? That's what I'm doing. I'm showing up every day and busting my ass. If we learn something in college football, it's just show up on time and, <laughs> and take the beating. <laughs> I mean, like, show up on time and take the beating. But that's fine, right? Like, that's another way of putting it. I mean, we just showed up. Like, I, there were times when I was at Nevada, I, I hope some of those guys listen to this. I bet they do. We would do army crawls out. We were one of the only FBS division one programs without uh, an indoor facility, which is like crazy, but there'll be ice, like two inches of ice on the field. I mean, like we're at the base of like the Tahoe national forest, like the mountains and everything. And people would have like bloody, like, I don't know, like forearms and it it was a nasty deal. So I don't know. I, I just showed up. Took the beating, you know what I'm saying, and like got the job done. But uh, mm. you know what? The world was also crazy this week, Nick. I don't know if we want to pull up some charts. If you have any charts Man. for us today, what 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 went on in the world this week, Griff? What uh, what have you seen going on in the world? I mean, uh, I obviously, it's easy to look and see what's going on here in the week. Man, I think I'm gonna sell, dude. This price is hitting <laughs> like a, this price is so low. I think I'm gonna sell, dude. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I can't even. I, I can't even be serious and say that. You know, <laughs> actually, there's a, a few interesting things like Bitcoin news. The Web five stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Um, I it's don't. Interesting. I don't know how you feel about the new bill that was proposed by Senator Loomis, but 
I downloaded it. I haven't gotten to read it yet. I haven't read the thing. You know what, though? I, you know what? Hold on. I, I'm going to have to pause. I'm going to have to pause this. I got to pull this up here because uh, I'm not going to pull it up. It'll take too long. Uh, I was going through it. And I was and I was just kind of reading a couple of things, trying to just get like a general idea of, of what was in there. Mm-hmm. And dude, I found a spot in there where it was like it was talking about orange juice. It talked about orange juice and some I saw it and I was like, um She was talking about like the energy aspect of it, I believe. Was it because and, and that's because I didn't read the whole thing, so I didn't have any context to what was being talked about. Yeah. And I read it, I was like, did I download the right thing? Did I get like some type of Weird it's in relation, yeah, that's in. I believe that's in relation to New York's uh, stance against Bitcoin proof of work mining. And mm-hmm. so Senator Loomis is like, "You guys are idiots, basically." Um, <laughs> and she com- she just compared uh, Bitcoin mining in like like how I, I want to say unconstitutional it is of New York to say you can't do proof of work mining, like you can't like ban somebody from mining a commodity just like you couldn't ban somebody from harvesting oranges or just like you can't ban somebody from, I don't know, like what's what's another mining some gold or like, I don't whatever a commodity is. You can't stop somebody from like going and getting that commodity just because you don't like how they're doing it. And yeah, right. the, the other, what we climate change, about, dude, we're boiling the oceans, man. It, it's just, we talk about on the show all the time. It's so crazy how, Ever since I've been in Bitcoin, a few of the biggest things are obviously like the energy FUD, which is just so like the proof of work money. Like it's just so lame because we actually have problems like energy problems in this country. And Bitcoin actually helps those problems. Mm -hmm. I I think Texas is a state that is taking advantage of it um, or at least seemingly trying to take advantage of it. I've, I've only seen a couple articles where the Bitcoin miners actually help like bolster the energy grid. And uh, when like times are really bad or like there's gonna be a lot of wasted energy, they're up and running. And then when they ask them to like cool it off, like all the miners are always good about cooling it off and making sure everybody has enough energy and so forth. But it's just, it gets tiring because I'm not an energy expert, right? I mean, obviously we have guys on here that know a lot more about the energy side of Bitcoin than we do, but uh, the price of Bitcoin, I feel like is tethered a little bit now to, some of these mainstream narratives just because I don't know, the plebs are stacking as fast as we can, you know what I'm saying? But like we need, uh, we definitely need some bigger players to get, start getting involved or just more people around the world. Um, but that kind of goes with how quickly I guess the network can grow, but, uh, but Hey, whatever. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. Also, for the listeners, the uh, the Bitcoin price as of today is $28,760. Um, and the S&P and the uh, the NASDAQ and the Dow Jones are all down as well. Um, uh, the S&P sitting at $3,900 right now, pretty much flat. It was pretty interesting looking at the S&P here over the last, let's look at five years, I mean, there's there's your COVID crash, right? So at the top, just before COVID here for the listeners, just the numbers, right? It was at $3,380. Uh, and then at the bottom of that crash, it dropped all the way down to 2,400-ish, right? Maybe a little off there. So 3,300, almost 34 to 24. So about a thousand point drop there. And then we cruise up, QE, QE, Jerome Powell and the boys getting the, getting the 
the printing machine out, right? And we cruise all the way up to 4,700. And now in the past, I think this is like two, three months, it's dropped all the way back down to 3,900 from, from 46 or from 47. Um, and, and just looking at the chart, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty significant drop. I mean, you just look at like this amount from here to here. Oh, that's, that's, an, that's more than that. You know, there, the current, the current downturn is, is larger than this one. Obviously this is a little bit more sharp here in COVID time, but yeah, Griff, you said it. Uh, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. Uh, happy to continue stacking sats. I'm never going to stop. I don't think, um, it is funny. Uh, you know what? Hold on. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. There you go. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, you talk to the people that maybe aren't Bitcoiners. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I was, again, I was, we were talking earlier uh, before we started the show, was getting uh, our episode prepped that we're posting today with Connor Chepinick. Go check it out. Uh, it was a really fun episode uh, to film, but talking about having conversations with people that aren't Bitcoiners. And, and once you once you get in, you take the pill, you swallow the big orange pill and you see the world and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe what I've not seen this whole time. And and then it's something that you can't unsee. Right. And then you go talk to somebody that's walking around like this and you're like, you're like, dude, dude, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, just go look it up. Just go see this. Go see that. You know, and it's like you can't ever you can't you and I you and I, Griff, we're never going to explain all of Bitcoin to somebody on our podcast. We're never going to do it. They ha- you have to go do your own research. You have to go read. You have to go listen to the podcast. You have to think about it yourself. You know, and it's just, dude, it's just crazy. Like you see these times right now and it's like, man, the price of Bitcoin's down. It's like, yep, I'm buying fucking more too. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's funny to, to see those conversations with people that are not Bitcoiners, but man, we have been on a freaking tear, dude. And you know what? Well, a really good guess. And now we, I feel like we've got another we, one. We got, yeah, I know. We have another good episode <laughs> for everybody. But uh, I would like to let you introduce here a little bit before we bring our next guest on here. Well, so, so this guy, uh, we'd never really talked other than just a little bit on Twitter back and forth, just via DMs. Um, before we hopped on and, and talked a little bit before we, we started here. Uh, but this guy's got some people that are working on his Twitter. I don't know if he's doing it or if he's got like, I think he's got a marketing team that's doing it, but they're doing really well. They're like, they're, they're not just like posting like the regular, you know, business type stuff. Like they're like interacting in Bitcoin Twitter. And that was where I had initially saw him. They were posting good stuff and I was replying and, you know, we were liking each other's things. And uh, I shot I shot a DM to their company page and was like, hey, we want you on the show. And they were like, well, who do you want? The CEO? And I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll take the CEO. Yeah. And uh, that's who we've got. That's who we've got joining us today. A guy by the name of Eric Grill. He's the CEO of Chainbytes, which is the largest. And I hope that this is I think that this is correct here. The largest number, the number one veteran owned Bitcoin ATM company in the united states i believe that that's correct can i get a nod is that correct eric uh, 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 okay well i'll let i'll let him explain whenever he hops on uh but uh yeah excited to have him on he's got his hands all over the place doing different things um and another fellow bitcoiner eric we are excited to have you on welcome on brother how are you doing hey, today? thanks doing well how about yourself 
I am doing swell. Griff, how are you? Still living the dream over here. Uh, Eric, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so so you got to clarify then. So you got to clarify for me. <laughs> uh, well, so there are no really Bitcoin ATM manufacturers in the United States besides us. So, you know, that would make us number one. <laughs> <laughs> the number one. And certainly the number the one veteran-owned because I don't think there is another veteran-owned Bitcoin ATM business out there in the world either. So Beautiful. Yeah. In the world. Well, let's call it the world, right? You know. Beautiful. Sure. Okay, Eric, you, but before we like really get into this stuff, can you kind of, because I don't know fully myself, can you kind of give us a quick synopsis of uh, where you've got your hands right now? Before we get to the story of how you led up to where you're at, what do you got your hands in? What are you doing right now? Um, well, you know, the Bitcoin ATM business, obviously, uh, I'm in, into compliance. I'm into uh, pretty much anything disruptive uh, that removes trusted third parties. I don't necessarily not as interested as Bitcoin as money anymore. I'm more interested in how uh, other aspects of this trusted ledger can impact things and, and remove governments uh, from, from, the, from the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, using government's very lazy and obviously the worst case scenario. So if you can s- sort of change that and put a technology in, as a solution where it's transparent, uh, that's going to be where I am. So right now I'm working on a, um, a supply chain for coffee in El Salvador, which uh, I partnered with Lehigh University. We actually had Lehigh University students build it. Uh, we'll be testing that here in the next month or so uh, in El Salvador. And what that's going to do is, is prove that people are getting paid properly because there's coffee field just sitting empty. So this will revamp their coffee industry uh, and we can utilize that. And there's other soybeans, other things in other countries in Latin America that this would affect as well. Um, Anywhere it can provide transparency. I mean, I'm in Mexico, uh, as you guys probably noticed, uh, we put it into the Senate building. Um, and initially that was to just, just show senators, you know, what Bitcoin is. They were talking about legalizing, you know, making Bitcoin legal tender in Mexico. But I, hey, I had the ears of all the senators there. So uh, I said, hey, why don't you guys vote on this? Since you guys go right in that room and vote, nobody knows what you do in there. You could vote on it here and put it on the blockchain. Letter. And so the head of the Senate said, yes, so we'll be doing that in September. Beautiful. Now that's interesting. So, so you said they're they're moving to the uh, the voting system on the blockchain. Is that what you're no, saying? No, no, it won't count for anything. It's just to show them that they could do it. Um, I, could. I don't, I think okay. Baby steps. You know, if you start talking sure. about that, uh, you know, not not Mexico. That's probably not gonna. That's not gonna <laughs> fly. And 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 anywhere, you got to do it in increments, right? Just show them, hey, this is what you can do. They can use it, or they don't have to use it. We can just provide the service on the machine. If they decide not to do it, they can still go vote. That's not gonna. They're not gonna change the way they vote. Um, but just showing them, hey, you could come in here and vote on this and you're, and the people outside can see what you guys have done and your, your intentions on, on what you're going to do there and it's on the blockchain. And, mm-hmm. and so I think um, just showing people that there's, there's more to it. Um, what, are, what are some of your intentions uh, developing that supply chain, doing it with the university? Is it about teaching? Is it about uh, obviously helping? Uh, what are like what are some of the aspects of that? That's obviously interesting, and it honestly sounds like you're going to get some high quality coffee if you don't mind sharing. <laughs> out here, yes. but, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the way it happened, uh, so I know a professor at the university up here who teaches blockchain, and he wanted me to get involved and and have his blockchain students that graduated from his class do a project. And I thought, okay, fine. I'm in El Salvador, and actually I was meeting with some government people in a coffee shop, and the owner saw me on the news or something, came up and said, hey, could I talk to you? And he, he owns all the coffee fields and stuff, and he wanted to do this. I was like, definitely. And I even know who can do it for you. So I just married him up, and we managed the project, and you know, we just finished uh, the beta. 
So what does that mean? Developing the supply, the supply chain. What is what exactly is that? Well, mean? so in this case, so the, so the workers. Um, so I guess the, we're solving the problem that the workers work. Um, they produce the coffee. They, they pick the coffee. It goes through the process, and then what happens is if it doesn't get sold for a certain amount of money, the workers don't get paid anything at all. So they don't get paid for their labor, um, and that's the and that's what's fair trade. You've probably heard the term before. That's what that is: is that they mm. get paid for their labor, um, but they don't know if they're going to get paid. I work, you know, all week. And, oh, coffee's down in price. No, oh, sorry, you're not getting paid. So in this case, it kind of flips that. Coffee, mm. Companies like Whole Foods and things, they're not going to buy coffee unless you can prove it's fair trade. And one of the, the problems is they had a government solution, right? They got a guy standing there go, yeah, yeah, they're getting paid, sure, right? And, yeah, here's a 1000 bucks, buddy. Thanks a lot for saying that. And yeah. then they get caught, and it's not the country. It's, a, it's Whole Foods who looks bad, right? So they can't do those sort of things. So if you can show and prove that this coffee has been has been picked properly and, and gone through the process, they're willing to pay more money for it. You, you and I are willing to go into a coffee shop and pay more money for it. And in this case, we can have the QR code. You can actually see what farm it came from, what group of people were working on it. Um, and so it provides real transparency into the process of that supply chain all the way through. And so that to me is exciting. It's not a, I'm not trying to make money at it. I'm just, it's just something I think solves a, a real world problem and shows you know, Bitcoin is the solution and, and implementing Bitcoin as legal tender in El Salvador is much more than just remittance and money. There's a lot of stuff mm. going on there. How are, uh, you know, that that's that's kind of an interesting uh, an interesting piece, too, is obviously El Salvador moving to legal tender uh, mm -hmm. for Bitcoin as legal tender. Sorry. Um, I mean, that how are they operating where, you know, let's say the banks got not, not the bank, sorry, uh, the the government has a total amount of bitcoin for the country and then the people earn their bitcoin through business through how, however they're doing that and the, i mean they're operating i mean straight on a bitcoin standard like if you've got a million sats you've got a million sats or how, do you know how that things works? are still yeah yeah I'm, I'm down there all the time so things are still denominated in u.s dollars people you know you don't flip overnight your labor is okay. denominated in u.s dollars you may get paid in bitcoin you may spend bitcoin but you're you're you know, your labor is in dollars. Bitcoin moves too much for you to be priced in, in Bitcoins, right? We're not going to reprice things day by day. So mm. you price something and it's, that's more state quote, more stable. Um, but, but dollars are, they, yeah. um, and so, uh, that's it. And, you know, even here inflation ruins that, right? Influ inflation changes the devalues the dollar. And now all of a sudden prices start moving. And once that happens, people don't, they, they can no longer associate their labor with what that currency is and that, that's a failed currency then because that's the objective of a currency is to be able to say hey i make ten dollars an hour if i buy this thousand dollar iphone that's a hundred hours people don't yeah. do that anymore we've already gotten lot you know everything's debt now you just think well i gotta pay twenty dollars a month okay well it's a thousand dollars that's a hundred hours are you gonna work your car you're, you're you're working two years to pay for a car like are you in, like it's just insane um but anyway yeah that's uh interesting what's uh what? But the banks are, but the banks are also holding Bitcoin. They have to settle in Bitcoin. The, the countries, so countries, the way central banks work in countries, they have to settle things. So um, if they're going to settle in Bitcoin, they're going to have to, they're going to have to have it on their balance sheet. So you're, you're going to see a lot of countries putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet when they want to utilize trade agreements between themselves on, you know, maybe uh, I, I can't get into all that, but you'll, you'll see more of that. Yeah. What's your thought on, you know, you talked about kind of pricing things in something that's more stable, right? Uh, and it's, I got to imagine that you would agree that it's more stable because of the, the size just in, just. In oh yeah. It's the reserve currency of the world. Absolutely. Yes. And that's why forget euros, forget anything else. U.S. dollar is the only thing going to survive in the next few years. If even that, 
Um, but there has to be something that we can all agree upon that's that's not controlled uh, by a government um, that we can denominate our labor in. And if we can do that, then, then that provides real transparency. And whether Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin's still going to be fluctuating, um, that that'll be a solution. Uh, yeah, but, but we do need something stable that we can denominate it in. Real, real it well. seems like in not too many years, we're going to look back on state-controlled money and be like, and and be like, how did we? How did that ever happen? You know, well, we don't have a better solution. Church right? and state, you know, today is like, I say that's all the time. I said we're separation of church and state and money and state. Once we remove money and state, um, I think a, a lot of things in the world are going to change. War, war is a lend. Why, why would we go to war? Um, a lot, a lot of things change. Mm. Uh, and yeah, people will look back and like, what was wrong? What was wrong with those people? Why did they allow the government to just print print their money and you put a hundred thousand dollars into a safe and they just took eighty percent of it and you didn't even they didn't even have to break into the safe? It's amazing. What a what a scam. <laughs> That's wild. Uh, okay, so so you're you're obviously very fluent in in what's going on in the Bitcoin space. You've got your hands all over the place. What uh, like how how long have you been in this space? What led you into Bitcoin and what was that experience like for you? Um, well, so I've been a software developer my whole life. Like when I was a kid, I was pulling apart computers, went in the Navy, um, had an aptitude for software development, got out, worked at, uh, you know, wall street, worked in New York city and, um, had a consulting company that I was running. And one of my clients had me look at this thing called Bitcoin in it was 2012. And I was like, yeah, it's some geek money. I don't know, like PayPal or whatever. I, I kind of dismissed it. I was like, no, 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 we'll pay for it. We really want you to look at this thing. And it was one of the big prime brokers actually. So I'm like, okay. And two days later, I resigned. I was like, I'm not working here anymore. This is my future. This is all I ever want to do. It was immediate. When I read the, so I, it was Andreas Antonopoulos. He said, read the white paper. And as soon as I read the white paper, I was like, bullshit. This is bullshit. I got, I, I'm, I bought a bunch of miners. I'm like, I'm going to figure out how to, how to fuck up this system. And, wow. That's and, interesting. I realized this is it. And, and so a couple of days later, I was done. I was like, this is all I'm ever going to do for the rest of my life. And so I built all sorts of stuff on top of it and, you know, forking it and doing crazy stuff with it just to play around with it. That's interesting. You know, Griff and I have had multiple conversations about, you know, because at, at some level we are capped on our understanding, uh, on our ability to understand Bitcoin simply because we don't have the technical understanding of what actually happens on the computer software and hardware side. Um, you don't necessarily have to. I mean, it's a monetary system. So if you if you figure out the monetary system, you don't have to understand how it you know, the, the, the code is not clean. It's kind sure. of messy and, and really doesn't help you understand Bitcoin. Really. It's don't, don't know how the internet works, but we use it every day. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Much. yeah. I mean, there's layers, right? So I mean, that's a good analogy. Actually, TCP IP is a protocol and you build all these protocols on top of it. And so Bitcoin's going to be the same. You already have layer two technologies. There'll be other things. We talk about web five, right? That's going to be another layer that goes on top of uh, Bitcoin and we utilize it and you don't have to know what goes on under the scenes. Okay, what's what's the Web Five deal supposed to be? Because I, I, I read haven't read enough about it, but it's going to be. It sounds it sounds like it's going to be just a better smart contracting platform on top of Bitcoin, which is that's we we built uh we built a supply chain thing in Ethereum. We tried to do it in Bitcoin. We tried to do it in Lightning. We tried to do it. It's just too, you know. It, we did colored coins maybe ten years ago and things like that. It's just so kludgy to do it in Bitcoin. It's so difficult, and and the fees and things like that make it very difficult as well. Hmm. Um, so then we looked at lightning, but lightning gets rid of all that data to save on fees. So we can't store the information that we need there. So we got to marry it up. And it was like, okay, hmm. Ethereum. <laughs> Interesting. But, yeah. So you, it, Ethereum originally was made kind of just because it, they felt Bitcoin was limited or it was just going to take a really long time to build something. 
It, it has. We still don't have a good. What smart contract platform does Bitcoin have? Doesn't have one. Right. So we're still waiting. <laughs> so yeah. hey, Jack Dorsey and they, these guys want to do Web five and build on top of Bitcoin and pay. Great. Somebody needs to do it because everyone. The, the money incentive was to build new coins and new blockchains and things like that rather than building on a Bitcoin. How do you make money building that on top of Bitcoin? Yeah, it's kind of like the opposite because Web5 is trying to give people basically their digital identity back. But that's all these tech platforms make their money on is your digital identity, whether it's your content or your data. Mm -hmm. They're making ad money on your content. And then obviously they're kind of the Dana White of the situation. <laughs> To give it, a, I feel like a good sports comparison because Dana White obviously he controls everything that goes on with his fighters. Mm -hmm. uh, all these, I mean, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. I mean, yeah, I mean, build decentralized systems. Uh, these yeah. old systems that are centralized and and you know censored and everything else. Everyone's so excited that that they're not going to censor you. Screw that. They shouldn't be able to censor you. You should have a system that allows you to yeah. say and do whatever you want to do without somebody, you know, saying otherwise. So there, there are a couple you... projects. For for somebody that doesn't know what a smart contract is, what what exactly is a smart contract? Uh, it's just simply a layer that that allows you to execute code on the blockchain rather than executing it locally and signing it. Uh, it's just a way to communicate. So in the case of Ethereum, it's Solidity, which is basically JavaScript, and you write some code and 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 pre present yourself as an API, and then people can interact with it. They can do things on it, and then it gets validated on the blockchain. So so you know that the transaction or you know that the 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 contract, I guess. I don't like the term contract. It's just code. Um, they, they call it contracts because I guess that's what we're mostly going to utilize it for. But uh, it's mm. just code that can be executed on the blockchain. And so because whenever I think of contract, I think of, you know, enforcing an agreement between. Right. And, and you can use the code to do that. And I guess that's why you call it that. And, and so really the only difference between Solidity and JavaScript is JavaScript has objects and Solidity has contracts. So the base layer of ethereum is contract so of course the term is going to be utilized i just mm -hmm. it's it's misleading because again yeah people think it's always just some legal thing between two people it doesn't have to be it can be a lot of you know, use video games you, lots of different things can be built on top of it so so how, um, how does that how would that work because i'm not f really familiar or don't understand like how, how do you how do you utilize smart contracts to build uh to to put a video game on it or a web five platform how does that work so you have a so you have your front end layer that's able to communicate with the blockchain um and and simply there's there's apis just just like you have normal apis that are centralized what's, you have what's APIs, an api uh an application programmer interface so a way of um, an agreement so if i present to you um get orders right and and you send me an order number um, I, I'm agreeing that I'm going to return back to you all the orders that match that order number. Okay. So that's, okay, yeah. you can call that a contract, but that's really just an agreement. So you call that API, you, it queries it, it comes back, and I give you the information that you want. Same mm -hmm. thing as you want to write to the blockchain. So now you, you call it up, you sign it, you pay your gas fee, um, and you present to that contract, and it takes that and it says, okay, and it, and it executes the code. So it's both ways. It's really interesting. Right. Do you think the version of... Or <clears throat> put it this way, uh, Web5 internet is a more robust, like, are we going to get better products? Are we going to get more content? Are we going to get, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I would imagine so. I mean, sense again, I don't, I don't know if it, I, I haven't read enough about it. I haven't really seen any yeah. specifics. On it. I haven't gotten into it. It's, it's, it's still early. More, just not even about. just Web5, just like a decentralized internet per se. To where if you want to produce or you want to do something different with your Twitter page, 
and you can get people right to it and you can get paid right then and there. You don't have to go through anybody else. Do you think well, that's Float, the already doing that? So the, the, yeah. yeah, there's already a Twitter replacement of float and it's decentralized and uncensored. And so they're already building that. What is it called? Float F L O T E. And, and there's a few others. I can't remember, recall what they are offhand, yeah. but they're, I know those guys. So it's <laughs> interesting. Um, uh, Let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. <clears throat> I'd like to hear a little bit about chain bites. So, you got. I mean, I, I won't even make any assumptions. What's what's your business model? What is your business? Uh, what's the product? What's the service? Um, well, it started off as software. You know, I wanted to build software for lots of different things. Uh, I guess this goes back to 2012. I, I when when that company had me look at it, and I went and got into this. I didn't intend on building Bitcoin ATMs. I was like, oh, we can build insurance derivatives, all these stupid things we were building in Bloomberg and you know the exotics and all this stuff we could build. And then I went to my first conference and realized, holy shit, this is nobody's building anything. This is all pie in the sky. Nobody's doing anything. And um, so I just said, okay, let's let's build the shovels and forks, the infrastructure. So how do we get from this old financial system to the new financials? We need to build bridges and make it very easy for people to get over there. And what are people familiar with? Cash to Bitcoin. Okay, so I built a Bitcoin ATM over the weekend uh, and then just supplied it out of China and just started the company and kept going. Uh, mm. So that, that's how Chainbytes finally came about. Um, how, long, how long have you guys been in business? Uh, Chainbytes has been in business since 2017, but I had built the first Bitcoin ATM back in 2012 uh, in another company that I, I had. I mean, that's that's a pretty interesting story that you uh, you found it in 2012. And I mean, immediately we're like, you're hooked. You're Bitcoin right out of the game. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, this is we were built. Well, because I was building systems. I was building financial systems. I was I was working on Wall Street, building all these um, settlement systems, all these very complicated. And you couldn't do it till the next day. And why? Because, uh, you know, Goldman doesn't give us the data for till the next day. So we can't even we don't have a choice. Hmm. Um, and here's this system that settles right away. And it's on it's on this immutable ledger. And holy shit, like we. We've been building a, a castle walls and while the airplanes are going by and go, yeah, they won't hit us. Yeah, no, this is, we got to change this. And we wow. always, we already had been playing with decentralized systems before this. And just for that very reason is, you know, one vector of attack. Um, so this was just proof of work just blew my mind. That's, that was my first epiphany about Bitcoin was just that was like, holy crap, this is, this changes everything that we've been doing. Let me go rebuild those systems that I've been building for the last 20 years and, and <laughs> do them like this. Yeah. Interesting. Do still you... haven't gotten around to that because there's too many other, there's, we're still building infrastructure. <laughs> do you kind of think it's a Bitcoin only future or do you think no. some of the per current projects around right now will survive? And what kind of role do you think they'll play? How do you kind of think it's going to shape out? Um, so Bitcoin is going to be the reserve currency of crypto for a long time. Uh, it, it's got too many things going for it. Too many things are going to be built on top of it. I don't know. I don't know about the other winners and losers. I mean, I, I love other blockchains. That doesn't mean they're going to succeed just because they're better technology, whatever. It's a big sandbox, so it doesn't really matter. The problem with a lot of the stuff that came out is is that it was done for financial reasons and people were looking to make money rather than providing a real solution to a problem. Um, so so there are quite a few projects I like, but that doesn't mean they're going to be around. And and so somebody will take those ideas maybe and make them better. Maybe we'll build a layer on top of Bitcoin and, and incorporate some of those ideas into it. And and that was the original intent. Like Litecoin you know, was just generated like, hey, let's play around here, mess it up. And if it works. Let's put it in Bitcoin. But now we can't do that, right? Bitcoin's not going to change. That's mm. uh, that yelling back and forth and, and by, you know, to, to updo this. And they're, they're really not going to change the core of it. And they sh maybe shouldn't. 
Um, yeah. We should just build layers on top of it and just accept it for what it is. You know, one of our one of our other good friends, um, he is a com- he was a computer science major and and definitely has much more technical knowledge on that stuff than than Griff and I do. Um, and he is a, a very big proponent of the idea that building upon Bitcoin is is like super inefficient. The co- I guess the coding language is shit compared to other languages. Um, no, he says it's that- a protocol. At the end of the day, it's a protocol. You can write it in whatever language you want. So as long as you adhere to the rules of the of the network, mm. you can write it in anything else. You're not limited. I can do it in JavaScript. You can do it in C Sharp. You can do it in C You can do it in Python. Whatever you decide you want to build it in, you can you can huh. build layers. And there's wallets built on whatever you want. So no, that's that that's not. It is kludgy though because what you're doing. So a lot like colored coins. The way colored coins work, where you have the ledger, right? So in the ledger, there's this thing called an op code, which has 80 characters in it. And you would just embed stuff in there that you could then read later and understand what that meant. A plus six equals whatever. And and so that was a kludgy way of creating smart contracts on Bitcoin. And that's kind of what you're limited to unless, um, you know, there's some things that they've implemented here, but it's it's tougher. Yeah. Ethereum's much easier. Solana, all, all, the, all the other ones are much easier to do than, than Bitcoin. That's that's a fact. So Might you piss off some people, but that's it. Yeah, you would kind of even say when it comes to Ethereum and some of these other ones, like they might be good projects. It's just the money side of it doesn't really work. It has to be more, if it's going to be a successful project, there needs to be more of an altruistic approach because it's really hard to make, you know, it's really hard to, it seems like it's just really hard to decentralize uh, a marketplace or uh, disintermediate, you know, some different uh, aspect of the real world and also profit, you know, like, well, if you can align the cent- So the idea behind a monetary policy, of these coins is to unlo- align the incentives. And, and yeah. typically what happens is um, they align it to the software developers building it and to the marketing people promoting it. And, and, and that's what happens. And instead yeah. of actually providing uh, something. So, so if I would build something, there would be, we would just give it away and, and it should be open source. And if you can do it better, go do it. Like just like this supply chain project in El Salvador, we'll take the code, go build. You think you can do it better? Please go have, go build on it. Do, do something better. Put it on, you know, we're talking to Avalanche. We're talking to all the other chains about, you know, letting them sponsor it and sponsoring farms and beta testing this stuff. I don't care what it's on. Um, at the end of the day, it solves a solution. So I, to me, you know, Bitcoin versus Ethereum versus all the stuff is kind of like in 19, early 80s. And, oh, Apple, Apple's great. Uh, PC sucks. Uh, IBM is terrible. Who the hell mm. cares? We don't care anymore. That, that's irrelevant. Mm. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's all, it's all going to be smaller parts of the beginning of what is going to be the larger future, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at even the internet, right? We were arguing over TCP, IP, Banyan, Vine. There were, there were 10 protocols that were in the running to, to be the internet, right? Mm. TCP, IP is not the best, but it's what happened. Interesting. So, yeah. Same, same going on here. So for you, I, I know that uh, I looked up and watched a few videos and, and just kind of, um, you know, just read some basic stuff about your uh, Bitcoin ATMs. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it looks pretty simple. You click buy Bitcoin shoot your cash in scan your scan your id or you're not your id like your your uh could your be it depends code. on how much you do and where what jurisdiction you're located in you may have to yeah, scan okay. ID. so, or so that's what i was that's what i was kind of getting to was like is it kyc yep. is deep like okay so it, well it's, it's up to the bit? operator so we provide the services so, uh, so i operate machines here in the united states and yes we definitely provide do all the aml kyc 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's more than just grabbing ID. There's, there's other things that you need to do in order to be compliant in the United States. So, um, yeah, that's a starting point. Has that been like a legal headache to, to get around? <laughs> Has that taken a lot to, to get to? Well, initially in 2012, it was because there was no certainty. We didn't know. And then all of a sudden the IRS said it's, it's money and now we're reg- regulated by FinCEN. And what does that mean? And, you know, yeah. So I spent a ton of money on attorneys trying to figure out, navigate that and not end up in prison because yeah, money laundering is a serious, <laughs> serious crime. And I didn't want to, you know, so we tried to provide all that. And at the time, there were only three other Bitcoin ATM manufacturers and they were all overseas saying, we're not going to the United States. It's crazy. I was like, well, I got to figure it out here. This is this is going to be the biggest market. And sure it is. Um, so got to make it, uh, compliant. I would, I would think that at some point into the future, and I don't know when, I mean, we could speculate, but I mean, who knows, but it seems like we're moving to fully digital money. Um, how, how long, how long do you think, um, you know, an ATM business would be around? Of course, you know, I think, and I do agree with you that there's, there's going to be multiple forms of money for a long time. Um, and, and then at, at some point, Bitcoin will switch over and be the reserve uh, store of value um, that, that we all use. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there's not other currencies that you can use in different parts of the world or, in, you know, whatever. Um, you know, what, what is your thought on on moving fully digital? And then, you know, what 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 the future could look like? So. Um, so moving fully digital is is somewhat scary. Um, the idea that the governments and banks would would control the flow of funds is is no, I, I'm I'm not in favor of that. Uh, cash is going to be you're, you're going to cash is not going away tomorrow. It's it's truly the most anonymous. Uh, you have cash in your pocket, you can spend it, and and that's not going to go away. And people want to have that. They they crave uh, having something that they well they think the government can't come take it from them, but they just devalue it in your pocket. They don't understand <laughs> that part of it. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't go away. But I, but I think uh, looking at the central banks of the world, as you start seeing countries putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, they're going to settle between each other. And then they're going to see this old broken system, this new efficient system, and it's going to be easier to settle between, between them. And that's what's going to drive them to, to, to do that. So then you'll start seeing um, different uh, asset classes get created on top of this between countries, between large companies. And, and that's when we've won, right? Because now things are... Uh, you know, we've weaponized currency. The United States is, wep- well, not just the United States. The currencies around the world are weaponized, right? We provide sanctions. What does sanctions mean? You can't participate. Um, okay. H- how do you enforce that? Uh, okay. With a gun. And and so in this case, yeah. uh, we take that out of the equation. Anybody can participate in Bitcoin and nobody can turn you off as long as you adhere to the rules. And I think that's important. And I think that that certainly undermines the idea of sanctions and, and the way countries work today but i think uh, for the better not to go, well yeah not to go to, to backtrack here a little bit so bitcoin and you compared it to tcp ip is there more to the story about tcp ip like that you like why was it picked is it just easier is was it more somewhat it was easier and we thought more more uh, decentralized really um you know you, you as you can see a router can go down it can reroute it whereas like token ring or banyan vine yeah you have to register with the central server and you know it was very centralized so it was probably one of the more decentralized um protocols at the time it was it it really sucks, but you know we're all used to it now, so we don't know any better. But uh, yeah. how many layers are built upon that that base layer? 
Oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, Not like thousands or TCPIP, like... HTTP, HTML, uh, CS. You know, how many layers? I don't know how many layers you want to go down. Um, hmm. You just build on top of it, and that's how Bitcoin's going to be. We're just working on layer two right now. Um, Bitcoin's going to have the same sort of mechanisms built on top of it. It doesn't happen overnight. The internet's been around a long time. We've we've been building these systems, but Bitcoin adoption is far surpassing the adoption of of the internet. Uh, the early days. So, do you uh, think? Just, uh... Do you think Bitcoin, you, you said you'd kind of, at this point for your own focus, you said you've kind of moved away from Bitcoin, the money aspect, and more so how it can impact other areas. Do you think that Bitcoin can uh, can impact other areas and also not be a money? Um, it's a, um, to me, I, I see Bitcoin, the byproduct of Bitcoin is money, right? It has a value makes mm. it money, it makes it the best money we've ever seen. So yeah, you could look at it as money and simply treat it as money and certainly better than anything else going on out there. Um, but we know the supply. So the supply is fixed. We know what that's happening. So it's about demand. So if you build other applications and other real world things on top of that, mm. uh, you're creating demand. And so that drives up the price. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The, the problem is, is, you know, it's an immature market and the fluctuations of Bitcoin scare a lot of people and it should, most people can't afford to lose, you know, in El Salvador is a good example, right? When they got paid in Bitcoin and it wasn't denominated in dollars, um, and then Bitcoin goes down. They can't pay the rent. They can't eat. And that's, that's, you know, not everybody appreciates that, but they do. So they don't want to take Bitcoin again because they cannot take the risk. To them, it's too much of a gamble. So they need something. Stable coin is fine. Some, something that's not going to move. And, you know, they go buy bread and they can't afford it now because they waited and they didn't get paid on time. Well, what was, what's the effect in El Salvador when it's obviously, it's a dollar. It's like, what is that called? Actually, I know there's no. It's a dollar. They they use the U.S. dollar. Yeah, they don't they don't have their own native currency. Yeah, they have their, yeah, they got, well, they have they the dollar. Um, but it's it, uh, it it you see them somewhere. But uh, does inflation it, impact impact them disproportionately compared to us? I mean, because well, maybe not El Salvador, but yeah, countries that use the U.S. dollar. Yes, uh, well, when yeah. we sneeze, they get they get the flu right away. And so you see, see you think inflation's bad here. They, not really have bad to, they have yeah. to buy the product. Then the country has to settle with the United States. And by the time it gets settled, I mean, if anybody really thinks that we're under 10% inflation, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. That's not what's going on. What but, do you, what do you think that number's closer to 15, 20, 20? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean here, this, so, so I'll give you an example. The house that I'm living in, the, the house that I bought here, um, I went to get uh, it appraised and they changed the feds, changed the rules on appraisals because they knew that inflation was going to drive up the uh, housing tremendously. So what they said is nothing underground counts, nothing above ground, nothing, um, nothing in an attic counts anymore. So they, so they literally cut in half, half of the um, homes square footage that you're allowed to use in order to get a mortgage under Fannie and Freddie. So that's how they're monkeying with the numbers and on that front. And they're doing it across the board to hide the true inflation. And so if they're doing it there, I mean, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I don't watch TV. I don't, I don't listen to it. I was like, yeah, 8%, right? Uh-huh. Go, go to the store, buy milk, go, go buy something and, and tell me that it's 10%. Inflation is almost impossible to really track because it's relative <laughs> to everybody anyway. So it's like, and it's lagging and it, and it lags. You don't really know that yeah. number. Neither do they, but I can tell you when you print a trillion dollars, that that's inflation. That's, <laughs> you, know, you don't have to know. And that's the problem. It's a distraction, right? We pay attention to the cost of goods and we use that to determine inflation. No, no, no. It's the supply of money. And that's what, that's what you should be paying attention to. And nobody understands that. And, mm -hmm. and that's the real issue. So they focus on, oh, gas is going up. And then, oh, you get a little relief. It went down $2. And now everybody's content. They made them happy. Well, 
and doesn't it kind of make it, I mean, and this is kind of what I think about with Bitcoin. I think what's going on in America, you know, is why Bitcoin is so great for the future. Because if you think about it, you're basically, we are building a country on the internet through Bitcoin in, in a way. We're building this fantastically big network that we really don't even know what this network is truly going to do. Obviously, everybody's very enamored with the money side of it. But like with what you guys are doing in El Salvador, I mean, with what's going on in... Uh, what was that video that we retweeted in like Central Africa? I mean, like actually <clears throat> creating marketplaces everywhere. It's a network and it's a network with a fixed like money supply, which basically means it's a country with a government that will never debase itself, you know? And obviously like there's other altcoins, like you're saying that do things better than Bitcoin. Like that's not really liking quite like I, every Bitcoiner is, yeah, like it does things that are better, but it's hard to really see a huge future with some of them because it's like, you got to get that. Uh, I think you got to get that first piece right when it comes to like the supply aspect of it, because it needs to be more about the network and building it and like getting well, in. It, it depends on the utility. Now. Like, a th like yeah. the problem with the, the problem, the real issue with Ethereum is, is as the price goes up, it makes it useless. And and so if your incentive is that the price goes up and you're, <laughs> you're you can't make transactions anymore, that's probably there's a mismatch there, right? Yeah. And so, how do you what solve do you, that? What problem? do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? If the price goes up, it's useless. What do you mean? Uh, gas prices go up. Every you use uh, go, uh, go do a transaction on Ethereum. Like uh, unless you're sending a ten thousand dollar NFT, it's usually not worth it, right? So, mm. um, interesting. Why is that? Why? Because of speculation and demand on the underlying price, which has nothing to do with the security of the network or the, or the security of the code. So, wh why is that tied together? So. Um, but again, there's not really a lot of good alternatives to that either. They, they may do things better and have solved the gas fee and be more efficient. But, um, you know, again, people are incentivized to make money in this. So a lot of times the monetary policy isn't maybe like what you said, it needs to be a little more altruistic and somebody needs to create something just based upon mm. like Dogecoin. Yeah, they just did it as a joke. Right. But look at that. It's, right. it's pretty creative. Because it's more about the network. I mean, like, that's kind of what you, you've been. I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like, I, I own Bitcoin. I love it. But I love it because I believe that this network is going to be so big that, okay, when I turn 65, I can retire not only anywhere in America, but I feel like if I save in Bitcoin, I'll be able to retire in a lot of a lot more countries, which Absolutely. is very to me. Yeah. And when you can develop the marketplaces in these other countries, it's like, that's really what holds anybody back from going there is just like how how nice is it like what is what can you do there like in, in the case of americans is there my mcdonald's down the street is there my is there my wendy's like you just you need certain things in your monetary network to like just live and breathe but like with bitcoin you know we're just able to now build a future with you know a network that you know if you hold that money at least it's always going to be worth what it's worth it's it does suck like right now it sucks in california i mean i'm gonna go i'm washing my car after this i'm gonna fill up you know what i'm saying i mean and you're gonna spend whole gas in your tank as an investment right it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be tough i mean it's really it's and it's like honestly it's very unbelievable but it's it's only believable honestly because i look at things from a bitcoin perspective and i like i'm in the community and on the money history side of this deal Every network ever, all the great networks, because America is a great network. I don't, ethically, I mean, I, everybody can talk about that, but it's obviously been very successful. We've been very, like, we're not unsuccessful here in America. So the fact that even as something as successful as America can be debased 
and ultimately like can collapse because of that. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about. So, well, but, but you, but you've been saying that you've been saying what, what the underlying thing, what Bitcoin actually does um, all along, but you may not even realize it. And that's the orange pill part of it. The opening of your eyes to what's going on, especially like my kids, they, they've never seen, they don't, they don't know the financial system, the old financial system. And it makes absolutely no sense to them when, when people explain it. Um, but most most people don't. If you ask somebody what the Federal Reserve does and how all that, they wouldn't understand. They don't know. I don't know. They they do something with the money. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> What's a, great. What, yeah. They print. They they pay Treasury bonds and okay. They uh, they do that whole thing. Yeah. But it's what, education. What? So so people want to learn about Bitcoin, but they don't even understand the basic financial policy of 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 the currency that they have. So you ask them about that, and they don't have an answer, and and that's okay. So you explain yeah. them a little bit about Bitcoin. When you orange pill them, then they start questioning that other system. And why the hell? Why is this worth less? And if you explain inflation and they start seeing it and starts actually impacting them, then then their eyes start getting open. Mm -hmm. You know, Latin America has been a great place to to operate in. They understand inflation and they understand their government's going to screw them. And and so they are always going to be looking for something else, like gold uh, or anything that they can get out of their underlying currency. They're used to inflation. You know, that. We're just we America. We're not used to inflation, and so now they're distracting us. But uh, even even more so, if they want to dive a little deeper in these Latin American countries, I mean, they're holding dollars as the reserve asset, and we're debasing. Which is insane. <laughs> so, we're, so we're even kill like your savings account is getting destroyed, and so so are these countries. Which it's like, yeah. I don't, like you don't have to be a finance major to go. Yeah, that's just like probably isn't good like it's just like, it doesn't work out very well for those people well you're you're already seeing that like so so we'll go back to the sanctions right so what did russia do russia can turn off europe at any point in time uh their gas so hey you're going to settle in rubles now okay well that that the petrodollar just got undermined that that's a big thing uh huge yeah and so you'll in saudi arabia you're going to see other countries do that too nobody wants to be controlled and under the thumb of another country no matter who they are and uh so when there's an alternative Yep, that's what you're you, gonna see. Do you think there's a chance that some of these like South American countries, because of these digital currencies and some of these networks, do you think they can like build some pretty large cities and have some pretty? Oh my gosh, go to El Salvador. They're you wouldn't believe what's going on there. I mean, they have twelve percent. They don't have twelve percent inflation anymore. They had twelve percent GDP growth. Wow. Why? Because of Bitcoin. Not mm-hmm. not because of Bitcoin on their balance sheet, but because of of investors and people like me coming down there and building. Uh, offices, uh, hotels. We're doing a project uh, with a infrastructure casino. development and all. Yeah, yep. And tokenizing all of this stuff. Obviously, it's all Bitcoin yeah. based, and it's it's a lot of uh, Bitcoin people in there. It's yeah. Which is you know, I, I, so it's easy. It's easy to do. I tossed this sucker up there a second ago. Bitcoin or Bitcoin? Bitcoin with a lowercase B or capital B, right? Um, you know, Bitcoin with a lowercase B is the hard commodity, right? The money, the the actual coin that you own, and the, and that's that's not the investment, right? That's the savings tool. But the investment side, the side that everybody likes to talk about, is Bitcoin with a capital B. That's the network, right? Which is exactly what you're talking about. It's not it's not El Salvador having Bitcoin on their balance sheet that's boosted their value as a company or their their production as a company or uh, country. Sorry, it's uh, okay. Same thing. It's, it's all the it's all the investment coming into it, right? That's uh, that's. Yes because of this new infrastructure is being built right and they're going to give us tax-free incentives uh things come here mm-hmm. to sandboxes to be able to do things with with uh regulatory yeah. certainty that they're going to leave us alone um you know you were talking about that bill that they introduced i, I i'm not going to read it i could care less what they have to say 
what they're going to, I mean, at the end of the day, is it going to be good for Bitcoin? No, no, it's going to be what they want. And it's going to, and why? Because they need regulatory certainty. Who needs regulatory certainty? Regulated industries. How about allowing them to invest in unregulated interest? They'll never in a million years do that. So mm. this is their only way to get that done, which to me is not interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a couple of really good examples of this. Uh, one of them being, uh, you know, banks opening services where you can, well, they'll, they will custody your Bitcoin for you, which I My think is, does it. is like opposite of like the self-sovereignty of Bitcoin, right? And the decentralization of it, which I think is funny because it's that fiat mindset trying to bleed its way into something that's just not. Uh, but yeah. what, are your, what are your thought with, with that one example in mind? What is your thought with derivatives? Because I think derivatives get really scary. I mean, if people try to make Bitcoin derivatives, that's I mean, then then you're then you're altering and, and kind of bending. No, it, create, it creates stability in the market. Derivatives create stability in the market because now um, you can. Is that just because of growth and market cap? I'm sorry. Is that because of growth and market cap? No, because what it does is it allows you to, to utilize and leverage small moves in the market instead of large moves, right? So if you're just buying, if I got to put $30,000 to buy one Bitcoin, right? I, I'm tying up $30,000 to buy that Bitcoin. If I have an option and I take $30,000, I can control $20 million worth of Bitcoin, right? And so now if the market moves very small, I make enough money that I get out and that market becomes less and less of, this big movement, I can't see my hands, um, the big movements and, and they become smaller movements. So derivatives actually stabilize a market. Hmm. So then, uh, so then where does that, you know, if you're leveraging in, um, then well, wait, let me, let me, let me, let me, wait, let me, let me caveat that. What you're seeing now is a bunch of immature investors investing and in, in gambling on options and futures and shorting and, uh, you know, and leveraging their money, that is that you're going to, then you're going to see these big movements. But when you see professional institutional investors now, that's, that's where the, the derivatives are going to come into play and that's what they play in. And that's going to create a lot of stability and a lot of money coming into the market. So how, how would you, how would you differ uh, the, the, the retail guy that's leveraging in, you know, a couple thousand dollars to, you know, play the markets and make some money versus institutionalized investors that are coming in and utilizing derivatives? How, how would I what? I mean, how would you, you said you, you kind of made like a Oh, well, the retail investors are small too. potatoes right now, but but they do impact the market, right? Because you, you see it when the market corrects and and then they get shorted out and, and it corrects even more because now they, you know, they cover the calls and um, th- that's small potatoes. Institutional investors are not going to have that issue. They're going to be well capitalized um, and they're going to take advantage of these situations. Create the, there's your, what you're seeing is larger, what, what we're calling whales, manipulating the market sure because they know they move the market 10 percent, and it's going to go 20 well i made 10 percent, and i got 20 million dollars in the market so you know that that's a little bit of money made and, a couple uh, of bucks on that one yeah so you're going to see that for a while but right but as large banks take custody as large institutions take custody um that flattens out and they won't get that big bump anymore because they hey the instant the other guys are sitting there waiting for these guys and they come here and they're gonna they're gonna go the other way and they're gonna lose money so let them play their game. It's just going to become a bigger playing field. That's all. But retail investors are always going to get wrecked. Can I tell you? <laughs> sure. Um, another another chain bites question. So, if uh, are, are you guys primarily selling um, ATMs to individuals that are using them as businesses, more on, on an economies of scale side, where you're selling multiple uh, multiple units at a time, or 
And yeah, then, we don't sell one-off units anymore. We we found one-off people. Hey, they take up all the time. They don't do a good job of anything. They don't treat it as a business. And so, yeah, we have a three-order minimum, but three isn't even really enough. Um, but you know, it's a good start. It's usually somebody's going to be serious. Uh, once they hit five, ten machines, absolutely, those those guys are making money and, and able to. What's the uh, what is the the um, cost on the buyer's side for if it's three minimum? What's what's the number on that, or is it variable? Uh, for the machines, uh, yeah. so like six, 6,000 machines, so like 18 to 20,000 to get started, maybe 30,000. You're going to need some money for their float. You're going to need compliance costs and things like that to get started. So roughly 30. You guys have a software as well, right? That, that's, that operates all that stuff. Yeah. And that's really what we do, right? The hardware is a commodity. We can operate on anybody's hardware. Uh, we've, we've okay. ported this over to other hardware, gen megas and, and, you know, okay. Korean American made, uh, kiosks. Uh, we, we, we source them out of China simply because the quality and the, the costs are lower, but there's supply chain issues. We started manufacturing in, uh, El Salvador. Actually, I have a factory down there, uh, that we started manufacturing, but the supply chain was so broken that we couldn't even get basic, uh, mm equipment we ended up ordering it from china which you know that was we were trying to solve the china problem that that didn't help um, <laughs> but yeah that's so so you know it's, it, that's there's there's a cost to get involved in it um but uh you know it's a good money-making business i mean you can't do anything worth you know worth doing with without a cost to it right i mean that's the proof of work right <laughs> yeah um sure. how, how does the uh how does the fee structure work on um the actual ATMs themselves, because you guys are, are I, I assume, making money on those transactions. And then the owner of the actual uh, units, they're also making money on those yeah. transactions. How, what is that? So I'm both. So I, I also operate machines. I have operational companies as well. Um, mm-hmm. But Chainbytes takes 1% of all the transactions uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that occur. Uh, and operators charge 12% to 30%. It really depends on where they are, the demand. Wow. And, and, what's going on yeah wow so i mean you you could look at i mean you're looking at like 31 percent top top mark i mean so so you put so you put a hundred dollars in and you're getting 69 dollars in in bitcoin i've uh, there are some operators and again these are usually the one-off guys that we sold to and they're just like and they they may get one order a month or something like who the hell they just don't know what the price is that they're paying and i think you know that's not really a great way to do business but uh just giving you the range. If you go to Coin ETM Radar, you can kind of see what people are uh, advertising as as charging. What do you think that uh, that that tip over rate is for the economies of scale piece to start? Because I, I got to imagine that you know whenever you got one or two or three, it probably doesn't really make a ton of sense unless you've got them in freaking slam locations that are well, killing. That's it, just it like, right? You get and, that, and you don't want to gamble, right? And that's what I tell people: if you get one machine, you put it in a bad location, you're going to think this isn't a good business. You put three in, one of them is going to be great. They, you know, maybe one's not going to be so great. You move it; it's fine. Um, but you, but you have to get them out there. And the more you have, you start developing, especially in a in a local market. You start realizing, hey, this works here. Um, you know, we have them in gun shops. We have them in in gas stations. We have them literally laundering. Do you guys have them in? Uh college college areas oh yeah yep, definitely yeah head, although I'll, t- I'll tell you the college students uh the, the really it, huh? not as much because they have it on their phone they're just like no i just 
you know, like I can just buy it on my phone kind of deal. Sometimes, but then, yeah, because they don't deal in cash, right? Kids, kid, kids aren't using cash. Um, it's it's mostly older people that have cash and have dealt with cash and and feel comfortable using the machines and using cash. Young people are never going to use cash. They're just going to Well, and as Griff and I have discussed on the show a couple of times, uh, I know that our time preference was through the roof whenever we were in college. It was like, we're spending money as soon as we make it, you know, as soon as we get Well, that's it. true, right. Yeah, most college students are not looking to save money in investments, so they so they might not be buying it for for, for good reasons <laughs> for sure no they never really are but uh it's just it, it is it is interesting um do you think there's anywhere else you can go with bitcoin atms kind of like is there potential to like throw a note on there and like have that also be like how they operate all their transactions in a store or anything like that or is it always just kind of sure. so- an atm like let it go no, I mean, we have other things on there. Check cashing businesses can go on there. So we're, we did voting. We did a wedding on the block on our machine. So we, we had two We did the first blockchain wedding in Disney in 2012, That's I think it was, cool. 2013. Uh, David Mod, uh, Jeffrey Tucker officiated it. Um, and uh, David Mondras and Joyce Mondras got married and they put their wedding vows onto the blockchain with a private key on the machine. And, and we, so we did that. And I was like, okay, so. You know, why, why do you need to go get permission to get married? Why do you need a permit? Why do you need to go put it in some ledger at a courthouse somewhere? Do it on the blockchain. Right. Or don't, Interesting. I don't care. Okay. No, that's a good point. That's, I mean, that is. Well, it was, and so we got wedding magazines to come out and Disney really didn't understand what we were doing, but they catered, a, uh, gave us a cake and stuff like that. And <laughs> we got, because we got a lot of press for it because it was like, what the hell? Even Bitcoiners were like, what? Wedding? Ha, ha, huh? That doesn't make any sense. And there's like, that's yeah, well, what, that's what keep I'm learning about with. Bitcoin and you'll realize what the hell we're actually doing here. <laughs> what chain did you have to use for that? Bitcoin. We use Bitcoin. Oh, so how? Interesting. So you just signed on the private keys. So it isn't, it wasn't a contract. It was just, they put the wedding, that op code, that 80 characters I told you about. You just put it in there. So boom. So he hmm. signed it. She signed it. It got you know, multi-sig, went on the blockchain as a, as a, as a ledger entry. Is it like a fork to the ledger in a sense? Because it's something no. Or... Every every transaction in there, you can put an op, you can put data in opcode. So you oh, load it. You have to pay for the fee because now your transaction's bigger. But mm-hmm. you can embed data inside of there. So then, does that serve the purpose to say, "Hey, look, we got married. It's verified here in the blockchain yes. where we both signed." Yes. Okay. Is, so that makes. I mean, so what? Do you and the best part is everybody can scan the QR code and send them gifts, right? Because now. They each own the the the, the wallet. Oh, okay. Now, now this is now it's kind of getting in. So, so it was, it was. This is 2012. So we didn't really have a lot of options. There wasn't. There wasn't a lot. Of, there was. Yeah. Know, was Ethereum even there? I don't even think it, it wasn't even an option. The Bitcoin. We were, of course we were going to do it on Bitcoin. We had to just figure out how to do it. And that was it. So then it seems like you know moving forward into the future, uh, there could be centralized blockchains for things like voting and whatever whatever those things well it doesn't have to be centralized centralized but like for you know for if we're going to utilize blockchain technology for voting right for a presidential election for the united states for example um yeah, so I guess that doesn't you, you need to trust. You, you sort of need to trust. Well, the, the network itself would be decentralized, but what you need is an authority, so to speak, that would say this person's allowed to vote, this person's allowed to vote, or you have something like the way distributed autonomous organizations are being created that you own some, a part of your country or your, your, your company, uh, mm-hmm. and because of that, you're able to vote, right? So go back to the, the days in the United States where you had to be a landowner in order to vote. Um, you know, Everybody should be able to vote. Um, how, how do you do that? Well, 
you know, we don't do such a great job of it today. I'm sure there's voter fraud and there's all sorts of stuff going on because you're, it's just based on this card that you say, hey, or not even, I guess they're arguing about that too. But um, <laughs> so, so this is certainly a better solution. And, and so you see some of this experimenting and uh, they, there's some projects in Tampa that, that they're doing that in Florida where we'll see. Beautiful. Where I'm, not, I'm not really too the, into the voting for a government part of it because you know I I, I want to replace the trusted third parties in there not 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 nominate new ones and you know sure. the, certainly senators and people like that that are that are Bitcoin friendly I would support but not true. Sure. Right, do you have any final thoughts? thoughts? No, no. I feel like I could go for like three hours. If I'm being <laughs> but uh, no, that's that kind of the beauty of it, right? It, and well, and you know I think at some point we we will we're at a point where we got to have people on multiple times because we just can't, we just can't, we just can't get into everything, you know, in such a short amount of time. Um, I know that we're, we're, we're touching, we're touching just over an hour here. Uh, but Eric, it's been a pleasure to have you on, man. It's been a, it's been an interesting conversation. Definitely some things that I've not really thought and talked about before. So definitely was some fun insight there. I enjoyed it a ton. Great. Great. Yeah. Um, where can where can people get in touch with you guys? I know chainbytes.com is your website for Chainbytes the company. Um, we've got your your Twitter uh, handle down here at Eric Grill, spelled exactly how it sounds, uh, which is very simple, right? Gotta love getting that, right? <laughs> um, but where where can people find you if they want to get in touch? What- That's the best way. Twitter is honestly the best way. Just reach out to me on Twitter. My my DMs are open. Um, I do respond and talk to people, as you can tell. I, I talk to people all the time on there and. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. Uh, you know, I run a lot of the meetups. I do a lot of speaking and, and advocating and uh, trying to trying to get people to orange pill. I guess, yeah, that's what good stuff. Yeah. Well, Eric, we appreciate you hopping on with us, and uh, we will see you again. I'm I'm sure sometime soon, and we'll definitely be seeing you awesome. on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. You have a great one. You too. See, you, Eric. Yeah. Yet Fun another again, huh? yet another guest that makes me feel like I'm not doing enough. <laughs> dude i mean that's that that's the common thread right is like uh we we just bring people on that know more about certain things than we do and then we get to broaden our own perspectives and then we're like oh okay so i need to look more into this thing or yeah man <clears throat> dude we've been on a tear with these guests i'm i'm excited about it, man that was another good one um, I was i mean like i always say like that was our best one i guess after all of them but i feel like that was now our best one just because all of our other guests are obviously doing a lot of really 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 cool things never get never mistake what they're doing but uh he's really taking bitcoin to the real world yeah it's it's to brian harrington's point right it's not it's not about being in the bitcoin industry it's about bringing bitcoin to your industry right and it's i think i think eric is for sure doing that in several different realms right i mean he's really and you could hear him say it i mean like the voting aspect of it you know it's cool but like why are we trying to elect more third parties that we have to trust for things that we really don't want to trust. I mean, it's about trustless open source protocols kind of like taking over all of that, you know? So it's uh, really interesting to talk to him. And I just feel like I learned a crap ton. I have uh, so many buzzwords. I'm always uh, now over here on our Google Sheets page. I wrote down a lot. I got good notes. You know what I'm saying? I, I stole a lot from that podcast, which is, I think personally to all of our listeners, all 
we're, we're floating around like what, like 70 to a hundred, like a week now, like people are tuning in quite a bit. We're, we're getting up there. Yeah. We're, we're growing slowly and steadily. It, dude, we haven't marketed at all. We haven't like, no, other than just like on our personal Twitter pages, you know, I just feel like I'm cheating because I get to learn something new every Saturday. So <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of nice, but, um, <laughs> anywho, yeah, no, it was an awesome podcast and, uh, I'll let you play. Hey, that, that was also episode number 30. Oh, nice. So we're, we are officially at 30 episodes filmed as of today. So that's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to continue pushing out good content. Um, excited to continue learning from new people. You know, I feel like, I feel like uh, so excited here for here in, in the next couple of weeks when we finish up with all of the guests that we've had scheduled over the past several weeks. So that we, so that you and I can kind of slow down and just hop on here and just let's, let's just like do like some brain dumps, you know, and just drop everything on the table that we've, that we've learned over the past several, you know, couple of months now at this point. Um, I'm excited about that, but man, another good one, brother. I'm excited to be on here with you every Saturday morning. Um, You people that are listening, if you want to get in contact with us, come hit us on Twitter right down here. It is at Nick and Griff show. Nick is spelled a little different. It's at NYC, just like New York City, and spelled out A-N-D. Griff is G-R-I-F-F with two Fs and show, at Nick and Griff Show on Twitter. Come hit us uh, in the DMs. We love talking with people, and uh, we will see you next time. Peace.